Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran. Uh, I'm back from a big week in Melbourne. Uh, the boxing didn't quite go as planned on Sunday afternoon, but uh, fair play to George Cambosis. He did exactly what he said he would do in bringing a big fight down under. Just didn't get anywhere near the result, Christy. You know, there's probably a slight comparison with the Wallabies, isn't there? There's always expectation, there's always talk, there's always confidence, but when you put the, the styles together, it was probably a bit of a mismatch in the end. Uh, Devin Haney, far too good, but, you know, all the talk out of America was that this guy was was pretty strong, technically amazing. His IQ was fantastic, and we saw the fruits of that on Sunday. Um but, yeah, it kind of continued a really big weekend of sport right across the landscape, not just in rugby, some big um, matches in the AFL even and a couple of upsets with the Swans beating the Demons and uh, even the Brisbane Lions and the Frio Dockers had a, a good game last night, which I managed to enjoy a little bit anyway. Not that I turned on and I saw Brisbane concede five straight. That wasn't so great as a Lions supporter. But, um, anyway, on to rugby. A podcast for all that appears some weeks, this one. So there's a bit of extra boxing and an AFL for you off the top today. Yeah. But of course, uh, quarterfinal weekend in Super Rugby Pacific. And uh, as expected, uh, all four games going the way uh, as the bookies predicted and certainly as we suggested last week, uh, albeit with uh, a hell of a contest in Canberra between the Brumbies and Hurricanes, which we'll, we'll come to shortly. But uh, Christy, we'll start on Friday night with the Reds and the Crusaders. Um Reds had a bloody good crack for, for 60 minutes in this one. Uh, I'd always had the feel of a game that was going to be be too much for them, but um, Brad Thorne had clearly got them up for it uh, using the, the state of origin mentality last week. Um, they scored a couple of belting tries um, with the wingers finishing, Vinavalo, um really making a final push for Wallaby's selection, you'd have to say, and Filippo Dalguna as well, having his best game for, for quite some time. Um, they had a real crack, um, but in the end, just uh, the Crusaders' weight of, of t- territory possession and and probably just class and experience uh, out there uh, in the key playmaking positions got them over the line. Yeah, I, I tweeted about, what was it, the 50-minute mark or there, thereabouts when Lawson Crichton misses a penalty from, what was it, about 30 metres out or so, no more than 35, relatively straight in front, maybe a couple of metres um just wide of the posts, and you thought that was a moment in time where they had the ascendancy, a bit of the momentum, an opportunity to take the lead. And I know that I kind of bellowed out a little bit and was frustrated by the the missed opportunity there. And then Ian Smith, the the sideline commentator, also picked up on it, going, that is a big, big moment of the game because it's just an opportunity to go, well, there you go. We're here. We've actually taken the front with 30 minutes to go. Um What's your answer? And we know that this Crusader side hasn't quite fired like it was three years ago. I think that's fair to say. They've shown at times a bit of vulnerability, and that was clearly on display with the defeat against the Tars, even though they were missing a few players. So that was a moment in time where you go, oh, you kick that and it changes. But on the other hand, it's missed. Crusaders score shortly after, and and at that point in time, it's, it's game, set, and match. Yeah, just on that um, on that miss, uh, to me, he doesn't look like a natural goal kicker, Lawson Crichton, the way he kind of eases up to the ball and almost 
stabs at it. Um, I never had any great confidence he was he was going to kick it, but it was a, a big moment, no doubt. Um, we mentioned Suli and uh, Dalgunu there. Um, I yeah. thought that that second try to Dalgunu was just an absolute belter. Uh, there was actually some cracking set play tries right across the weekend. Uh, the Chiefs scored one through through Brad Weber and the, the Blues as well in their match, finished off uh, by Bowden Barrett's second. Um, but I thought that was a brilliantly executed try. But And on that occasion, Crichton throwing the, the nice pass. So he's, as we've spoken about, he's clearly a talented young player um, and probably will be better served by the uh, the harsh learnings of uh, of this um, this period of matches against New Zealand opposition when when James O'Connor has been out. Yeah, you're not wrong. Like He's, he's effectively a first-year super rugby player. Yeah, he's yeah. played overseas, but he's often been behind players and so forth. You, you, you mentioned Dan Gurner. Isn't he a fascinating player? Because <laughs> his best and his worst is just so stark. Like, we've we've seen what he's capable of. He's a, he's a Wallaby in 2020. I mean, his first game, his first test appearance was a blockbuster. He played very well. on debut. Yeah, he was brilliant. And... And since then, his best and worst has just been far too significant. We, we, we saw he got yellow carded in Sydney and Bledisloe 3 for um, taking the man out in the air. I think off basically off the kickoff, it might have been one of the first first minutes of the game there. Um, and then this year, he's just been completely out of sorts. He, he's a confidence player. And the thing that I like about Dungunu and, and the upshot and the thing I think Australia's selectors like about him is that he's, it's hard on the ball, gets on the ball, and, and there's not that many outside backs or backs in general in Australian rugby that get on the ball that apply pressure. You look at New Zealand and the players all over the park. You look at England maybe to a slight lesser extent and, and Ireland as well, but France absolutely. The presence on the ball, slowing the ball down, but picking your moments because the outside backs – it's generally a one-on-one tackle or there's two out there at, at, at most. So it's an opportunity, first man tackle, second get over the ball. It just doesn't happen in Australia. And and that's a completely different scenario to a for flankers hunting in the middle when there's traffic everywhere. So he's, he's a guy that wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in this Australian 18 based purely on that performance because up until then, his form had been quite dreadful for a, a, a capped player. Um, but you're right, Suli Bunavalu continues to show what he can do. And, and we've made mention in the past this guy is considered one of, and, and been told this from Australian officials, the best product, the best physical specimen that they've come across in Wallabies, Wallabies history. So they are really hoping that this guy puts pen to paper. I believe that they're, they're, they're getting closer. There's a bit of cat and mouse going on between player agent, but he, he understands that he's going to have to take a bit of a haircut from what I understand, given that he came over on probably overs uh, and he's hardly played any rugby. So watch this space on that. Um, that's an interesting one. But, yeah, it, it, you know, the Reds and Tars season now over. They're going to be having a bit of a, a mad Monday, I suppose, off the back of coming back from New Zealand yesterday. Um, when, when you consider... The, the two quarterfinal exits, Sam, you know, who finishes the season, you know, on a, not a high, but, but happier than, than they might have uh, if you're thinking from the start of the year. 
Oh, I think it's still got to be the Waratahs, really, and we'll break down their game with the Chiefs shortly. But, um, you know, from where they've come from last year, uh, wins, uh, two wins in New Zealand against the Highlanders, Moana, that memorable victory over the Crusaders at home. And let's face it, they should have beaten the Hurricanes and they should have beaten the Blues at home, sorry, in Australia as well. And, you know, you put those two wins in and off the top of my head, I think that probably gets them uh, a home quarterfinal. Um, so... In saying that, you know, that was it was always going to be a learning curve too. And and Darren Coleman has, you know, openly admitted that they've probably exceeded his expectations and then some. Um, I think he was targeting probably that dogfight for for eighth spot, which the the Rebels force and Highlanders all, all found themselves in. And to come and, and do what he's what he's done and, and turn them around with, you know, some some excellent performances through the year. Certainly the Highlanders one stands out um amongst the pack, given the the significance of it, a first win away in Dunedin since 2008, I think, and first win away in New Zealand since 2014 off the top of my head. So um, huge results. And, you know, they're well set up for next year, aren't they? Because they've got um, quality time into these these young guys, Edmed, um, you know, Fakedi and Parisi have further embedded their combination in the midfield. You've got Will Harris emerging in the back row, Charlie Gamble has come in, the return of Jed Holloway. Angus Bell gets another season. He'll get another, you know, test season coming up shortly. So it's certainly the Waratahs for me. And for the Reds, yeah, I mean, injuries have just, you know, crueled them again. Um, you go back right to the start of the season and you had the captain's curse of of Tate and then um, Salakai Loto and Liam, sorry, not Liam Wright, Tom, sorry, yes, Liam Wright. Yes, um, many rights, don't make it wrong. Um it uh, yeah, things just haven't gone their way, and and they'll look back on on their games at home to you know the Chiefs and the Highlanders, two games they absolutely could have won, and being up seventeen nil against the Hurricanes, we spoke about it then. That was a huge turning point um, when they just stopped playing, and Bale and Sullivan ran away to score, and you know that was almost the absolute turning point of their season right there and then. So um, yeah, I, but Brad Thorne, um, we think back to the news line in the middle of the year around his all of his chances. Moving forward, um, I think we've, you know, there's probably been a cooling on that, and he's he's got a bit of time to go yet. But um, full credit to him for getting them up uh, the way he did on on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, and they, they showed a bit of resilience there. They they were good on 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 Friday night, really, for the first fifty minutes. The set piece, you know, it, it was always going to be a difficult one. Um, line out worked all right, but the scrum uh, that was against a Crusaders side playing away that's always a difficult task but you're throwing the fact that they're missing a couple of their hookers uh, I was surprised that Richie Asatasa didn't start um, but you know without a, a Taniela Tupo they're always a very tough thing and and, we, and we, we saw the early substitution about the 33 minute mark with Foku Waitia um, getting subbed off there but Look, they will be, you'd think, reflecting on on how they take their game to the next level because there's quite a few players leaving now, but it's a, it's for the people like your Ryan Smiths to just continue their development. Those kind of guys are really important. We've already touched upon the fact that Lawson's now had multiple games at 10. And next year, a World Cup year, you can imagine that Dave Rennie doesn't want James O'Connor playing every match at 10. And, no. it's, and it's picking your times between, yes, winning the game, but it doesn't mean that James O'Connor has to play 80 minutes. You know, get him to play 50 minutes, give Lawson opportunities there. And, and sometimes it's difficult when the game isn't wrapped up already to throw someone in there, but you've got to do it. We've seen that the Highlanders have done it in the past a lot with Aaron Smith taking him off after 50 minutes. 
Um, and not just this year when they've got a superb backup nine, but, you know, in the past they had Kane Hamilton and a really competent nine. So they've got to be able to build some development, some growth there. But the big storyline behind the Reds at the moment is Taniela Tupo. What happens with Taniela Tupo? Now, I can't, like, going He's, he's sporting a nice peroxide do I saw last week. He absolutely is for a couple of weeks. I think he has been. But they will want to make sure that they've wrapped up Taniela Tupou long-term sooner rather than later. They don't want that to continue to drag on. And and if he does decide to go, um, it can't have a detriment, detrimental impact on the entire squad because, you know, there's a difference between one year and three years and sabbaticals. You don't want to make it complicated here. Um, but he's he's the sort of person that they've got to be throwing the kitchen sink at, obviously, to try to keep um, watch this space on that over the next couple of months because I think the QRU desperately wants to have him wrapped up by July, no real later than that, because then it allows sides like Japan to kind of come in and swoop in a little bit more. So, yeah, a big one, but um, opportunity for a couple of those guys from the Taz and the Reds who will be both in Australia right, and the Wallabies too. Enjoy themselves for a couple of days before I think they go back into a squad come Sunday or early Monday for an Australian Ace uh, team because they've got a Pacific Nations Cup to prepare for the, for the uh, Australia. Absolutely. Just before we leave the Reds Crusaders, um, anything in that Leicester Fyinganuku uh, forearm on Tate McDermott, did you think? It um, certainly became a hot topic on, on social media and made me think immediately of of Wayne Smith's column in the Herald, uh, I think about um, a fortnight ago after the Reds played Moana Pacifica um, and, of course, referencing the infamous Samu Karevi forearm in the quarter, uh, not quarterfinal, the pool game against Wales in Japan, mate. Um, how did you see that one from Leicester? It's a really tricky one. You, you, they almost need World Rugby to come out and go, what is the position with this? Because at with the, the moment, fend, with the forearm, with yep. the fend, with the forearm, what constitutes this force, what doesn't, because it's so ambiguous. It's so grey. And that is what the game is littered in at the moment. It would be, it'd be helpful for not just the rugby players and the coaches around the world to understand this, but allow, give an insight into the public so that they can see it as well. Because it's one that you look at it and you go, look, that's worse than a lot of the things that we're saying defensively, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm not compl- I'm not surprised, but I think it is very ambiguous at the moment and and how it's officiated, I'm, I'm not quite sure because it's we, – we saw Simon Rowell-Louis tweet, tweet on this kind of subject just a couple of weeks ago off the back of the Tate, the Tate uh, McDermott incident. And, you know, that was a, um, what, a Moana Pacifica kind of player. Tamatamanawai, I think. Yeah, with, with McDermott. So, you know, he brought it up. He was there in 2019 when Karevi got shown the yellow card and, and it was a big turning point. And you wouldn't want something like that to come up in a World Cup semi-final, quarter-final, final, and potentially, you know, if a card is finally shown, the, the world will be up in arms. So uh, we need more clarity. We absolutely do. I feel like we've covered off the Waratahs pretty well as well, mate. Uh, but just a word on their match against the Chiefs. Um, uh, another step in the, in the learning curve and education process. The, the play that stands out was the, um, the shifting the ball 10 metres out from their own line uh, and just a lack of skill execution there, a poor pass. And um, Nankavell toes through and 
And uh, that kind of gives the Chiefs that gap between uh, them and the Waratahs before halftime, and they never looked really in any bother after that. The thing that, that, that disappoints me about that is we saw the Waratahs and Chiefs, what, five weeks earlier playing Melbourne, and there was a couple of it was, this was overshadowed by the fact that Angus Bell was sent off, that Jamie Roberts was given a yellow, and they were always chasing the eight ball. But there were two moments in that game in Melbourne where off a scrum feed, I think it was 15 on 14 at that stage, Waratahs had recovered players. It might have been 15 on 13 potentially. But twice, once the Waratahs got intercepted and a second time the play broke down, first phase from the set piece. And and, and it showed that they were so willing to go wide before they were going forward. And that was something that the Wallabies had been guilty of for a long, long time. I thought it was rushed. It was unnecessary. What are you doing inside your 22 doing that? I, I don't quite understand it. They were doing what the Wallabies, when they get beaten by the All Blacks and get generally beaten in the second half, they're trying to win the, the, the game from inside their own half, force the issue. It, 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 you're not going to beat New Zealand rugby playing their brand of rugby, their style of rugby, which is that elusive, free-flowing, quick pace, slow it down. And I, I think we saw the benefit of that from the Brumbies on Saturday night. They were the only side, Australian side, to show rugby smarts when it comes to knockout rugby because we saw a, a lift in the physicality. We saw the importance of set-piece. And we saw the breakdown was ferocious. And Darren Coleman, yeah, in his post-game said that, look, we, we didn't win the collisions. They didn't do that. But I don't think that they played the smartest brand of rugby. They chose times to go for the goal. Odd times, I thought, um, in, in the first half where Tane Edmonds shots at long range. Should have kicked them, though. Should have kicked them. But, but at that time, they, I think the Waratahs, after conceding the early try, They'd had a bit of dominance around uh, the rolling moor. Um, their set piece was firing. Angus Bell was having the game of his life. Um, I, I thought that here's a moment not to take a, a 50-50 kick for a guy like Tate Edmund to actually pin it in the corner and back your attack because the guys like Mark Nwanganuidawasi and Dylan Peach were playing very confidently. Um, and the other last point I'll make on it is, is I think they missed Parisi on the weekend as well. Oh, massively. Uh, Alex Newsom at 13, I think he's played very well this year. In fact, I think it's been his best super rugby yep. year. But I think he's played his best rugby either at fullback or on the wing. Um, we, we saw, we've seen the importance of having a bigger centre. And, and, and we've seen when the Queensland Reds haven't had Paisami and they've gone with a Hamish Stewart, Josh Fluke, You've got to have someone with a point of difference there. And unfortunately, you know, missing Parisi's punch, the ability to suck in draw defenders, I think was shown. It's probably got to be a, an area of recruitment you would think that Darren Coleman would look to over the offseason to perhaps find that that one extra inside or outside back. I know Joey Walton's had back-to-back oh. injuries. Do you, um, you, I don't think you necessarily need it if you've got Namani Nadolo coming. Because he in himself will demand people stay on him, you know, just the, the the centers potentially just to hold back a moment. But in terms of catering for another injury in the midfield, I'm meaning, you know, is or do you believe we haven't seen Joey Walton for basically the best part of two seasons now? Is he, from memory, I think he's more of a 
12, is he, or a 13? Um, but anyway, maybe... I think he can play both. I think, I think 13 from, from memory. But he's a guy that's got huge raps on him. He's played under Darren Coleman in the past. Um, I know that the Waratahs coaching staff were um, supremely disappointed when he got another injury. Yep. I imagine that you know this is a, a former junior wallaby, a talented player. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily be going there. You're going to have a Kirtley Peel um, come back. It'll be interesting to see. Like when you've got that, you've got some some depth. Um, another point of difference at fullback, Ben Donaldson. I thought had a reasonable game, and that was a great kick, great decision there to, to set up Dylan Peach's Peach, yeah. time. But um, I think there's enough there without searching for uh, you know someone like a. A Kravy who, if he's going to go anywhere, and I think he'll probably stay in Japan, he's more likely to end up either at a Brumbies or or a Rebels, you'd imagine, um, than a uh, than a Waratah side. For sure. Speaking of the Brumbies, about time we get to Canberra. Um, this was the pick of the finals. Um, clearly, uh, was a full. Um, it had the feeling of a of a real finals match from the outset. Uh, both teams, as you mentioned earlier, ferocious at the breakdown. Um, there was drama in the first half with with Len Ikatow's red card, followed by Ben, sorry, Owen Franks's yellow card. Um, well, let, let's just stay there for a moment. And you know, how did you initially see it? I had no problems with the Ikatow red, and and I thought, mate, to be honest as well, Owen's was a was a yellow. I could see where the debate was coming from. I don't believe Nick White had a massive issue, sorry, a massive effect on um, the result of, of Ikatow's tackle. Um, he was up high. Obviously, Aiden Morgan's a little fella, so probably needed to get down earlier. Um, and in terms of Franks, I could understand, you know, what wasn't probably mentioned in the um, conversation between uh, the referee uh, and uh, the TMO was the fact that it was late. Now, uh, to me, it was chest. Um, and again, if we're going by the letter of the law here, it's, you, you know, it's around first point of contact and the same debate around Matera last week being the first point of contact with the ground. So on this occasion, it was chest on chest and head on head. But factoring in the lateness of the tackle, I could see why people were calling for a red. But to be honest, mate, I was happy with red for, for Ikatao and, and yellow for Franks. Yeah, interesting one. Like, oh, I think the slight difference, two, two slight differences. One, there was more of a drop from Lenny Ikatao. It was slight, but there was much more in the knees. You could see there was a, a slight bend. And if you're talking angles, it wouldn't have been more than 20-degree angle chains. But but there was a, a slight change. And you look at how the player, you know, you can't be judging on how the player is, but it was interesting that he didn't go on off the concussion. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and Noel Alolisio, of course, did. Now, he could have been ruled out. Well, I thought the Owen Franks one, at no point in time is there any drop in him. No. He's actually going higher the whole time rather than dropping. It was face-to-face. And, face. and if you think, yeah, and if you think about where Owen Franks, um, in terms of, you know, the chest first, well, that's probably because his chest is about three times as big as Noah Lolazio's. So no wonder why it is the chest first. I think that's worse. I, I, you know, I, I, I recognise the lateness in it, but also the, the degree of danger there. We know that world rugby is preaching to drop the body height and at no stage does Owen look like dropping it and the whole time he's going up. So that's a, that's, that's a no-no to me. I, I was surprised by seeing that. Um, you could understand that the Canberra faithful were never going to be pleased with it, but they weren't happy. But we saw the effect of not having him on there. 
Brumbies stuck to their strengths. They went back to what they're good at. And and I thought from a tactical perspective, they were bang on the money. You know, they 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 hit the rolling more hard. And when that didn't work on a dewy kind of night, on a wet-ish night, um, it was a cake of soap by all reports. The ball, good decision-making there by Iray Simone to take the line on, um, not put a little grabber in, which he often does. Um, and oh, I just thought it was, you know, even the decision there by by Ron um, to bring Ryan Long Lonigan on. This is where I think Australian rugby needs to take a lesson out of Dan McKellar. He's brought on Ryan Lonigan with half an hour to go, despite the fact that Nick White is your starting Wallabies halfback. It, you know, they've got huge wraps on Ryan Lonigan, and so do the Wallabies. But that that shows a bit of courage, but it also shows trust in your squad. And, and he did a superb job when he came on. Just one probably poor kick that he would have been not too particularly happy about, but. Um, you know, we could go through. I thought Alan Alatoa was superb. His best game of the season. Clearly, Tom Hooper's got a, a real future around him. I, I'm not sure if he makes a Wallaby squad at the moment, but I, I think he does make an Australian A team. And he's the sort of profile um, that you look at and go, this guy's got something seriously good about him. He played, didn't he, with the um, the the clearness, the um, the energy, the the conviction of a, of a five ten year Super Rugby player on on Saturday night. I thought he was just fantastic. He just did the tough stuff up front. He carded really well. He, he topped the tackle, tackle count with thirteen. Um, he repeatedly put his hand up to to get in and evolved in and around the rucks. And uh, yeah, and it's going to have that versatility clearly of of being able to play uh, both lock and uh, at number six. Oh, yeah, and that's important. You know, we, we know that guys like Courtney Laws are so, so good because they've been able to cover both those positions. And if you think about including someone on the bench, well, that's a, that's a really big thing. We know how important the bench is now, more so than ever before. A shout-out, Lockie Lonigan. I thought both hookers were very good, but Lockie Lonigan comes on and he has his best game too. And, and that's important for players. You look at guys and how they go – in knockout scenarios, pressured situations, and both hookers stood up. But for a Lockie Lonigan who's got questions around his physicality, his size, um, he stood up, got on the ball. I think uh, won a penalty. Might not have been as clear cut as as uh, as was you know the end result. But um, great, great performance. Scotty Co was outstanding. Um, it's an interesting question. What do you do about Scott CEO? Because it's not quite clear what he's doing with his future. Um, at least it's not publicly out there yet. But his form is warrants national selection. And if you if you're thinking about Tom Banks, um, he's going overseas. What's the difference between Scott CEO if he's not going to be here or, or next year? I think CEO could. You know, he's clearly a loose head. And if there was an injury to the tight head well, they would be going, well, who's our replacement tight head? And you'd go, well, Harry Johnson-Holmes comes into the frame, even though he was slow on his return over the weekend. But we know also that James Slipper can shift across and do a job. So CO could could uh, could go into, into the, you know, onto the bench. Um, and he's been brilliant. I think it's been his best year probably for five, six years, I think. 
yeah, hard to disagree and uh, going to be really fascinating, as you mentioned, to see just where he lands uh, in terms of, of national selection. You get the feeling he potentially has just left his run a, a little bit late and the other props have been playing so well, clearly at, um, at Loosehead, uh, Bell and, and Slipper have had have had great years. But, um, you know, it's all about depth, mate, as we keep saying. So, fantastic. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Noel Olesey. I thought... Something that really rang out for me from last year, particularly in the Bledisloe series, all three games, Dave Rennie keep talk, kept talking about the space in Buffon. We're not seeing this space that's available behind this rush defence of the All Blacks and our kicking just isn't good enough at this point. There was a moment on Saturday night where Noah, uh, the Brumbies picked off a Hurricanes line out and Noah got fed the ball uh, by, I think, maybe Nick White still at that point. Um, had a look around and then just dropped a beautiful little kick back in uh, towards the left touch line, deep into the Hurricanes half. And it just hit me then that, hang on, this is this is a guy for who that message is finally just starting to to hit home now. It was a beautiful kick. Um, it was really, you know, a clutch point early in that second half. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was, you know, the, the first thing I thought of was um, we're not seeing the space in behind. Well, there was Noah seeing the space in behind. And, and not only that, you, you asked the question around, Where's a player going? How much? What's the player's ceiling? And Noel Olesio's ceiling, I think, is quite high. We haven't seen, from an international perspective at least, him be able to put in test match performances. And what we've seen this year, and we saw it at stages last year, and clearly enough in 2020 to suggest this guy was a player of the future, but we've seen decision-making, and we've seen that right throughout the Trans-Tasman series, and that's been very pleasing. You know, Dan McKellar, from what I understand, in the in the preseason, all the focus was on how do we beat the Kiwis, and kicking was one of the most important things that was drawn out there. They've got, and, and it's no surprise that they maybe their detail or their, their precision wasn't quite there against the Australian sides, but you know, we'd see how they've played against these New Zealand sides and they've matched up every time. You know, they weren't at their best against the Crusaders, albeit missing Lolosio, missing Valentini. Rob Valentini's inclusion will be huge. I know that, that Dan McKell has been quite coy on whether or not he'll be available, but I can imagine he will um, line up against the Blues on the weekend. And I spoke to Dan yesterday afternoon. He mentioned if we, if we allowed... Bowden Barrett to be a 9 out of 10. We're not going to get close to them. Uh, and the other interesting thing that he spoke about was that in the semi final a couple of years ago over in Argentina, uh, it was Christian Leofano's 150th match. Uh, they'd flown his brother over there for the match too. And there was a lot of emotion around his 150th. Yeah, you know, you throw in a a trip around the world and a six-day turnaround. It's a that was a big, big ask for them. Those sorts of things, those learnings out of that, uh, I think will be heated. They'll know what it takes to win a semi-final. I imagine it's going to be a big crowd at Eden Park, potentially above 30,000, 35,000. Uh, it's a semi-final. The Blues are in red hot form. We showed, we saw on the weekend they were a bit slow out of the blocks um, against the Highlanders, but Look, come that second half, they were they were brilliant, and you saw the best of uh, Roger Tuivasa-Shek and 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 Enrico Iwani. Um, it's going to be a, a really enthralling match, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, people pondering whether we saw the All Blacks ten, twelve, thirteen 
uh, combination on Saturday night, particularly at their best. Um, they also scored a, a fantastic set play try where uh, Hoskins Satuto took the ball to the line, cut out to, to Roger, and he found Rico. And then Rico probably had the toe to get there, but he offloaded to, the best to Bodie anyway. Play, wasn't it? It, was, it, was, it was a cracking weekend. I really enjoyed all four games. Um, and, uh, yeah, as you say, they're going to take a, a hell of a lot of beating over there at Eden Park. But um, as we saw on uh, on Saturday afternoon, the Highlanders were able to frustrate them. I think, you know, clearly the Brumbies have got a far superior pack to the Highlanders. Uh, Dalton Papali is gone for the rest of the season, the skipper. So they're one, one all black down in that um, heavily test-laden pack. So they're not without a chance, the Brums, but they, as yeah. you say, they'll need to get, Everything pretty much close to, to bang on and, and keep Bodie to a to a five out of ten rather than a nine out of ten. Yeah, and it, and it's a it's a test match style game that they'll play there. I wonder whether or not you know Jerome Brown comes back in now that if a Rob Bellatini starts, it gives that punch and it possibly allows Brown to start, Hooper to go onto the bench potentially, and as well as Arima. Um, I think you've got to play this in almost two ways. Um, it'll be attritional, and then it's about taking your opportunities, and that's what they did on the weekend, and I think that's what it's going to take. They can't afford to try to match this blue side, which has got pace and speed to burn, can they? It's about being snipey at, uh, at nine, and this is a, a, you know, if you're a Brumby and you're on the fringes of the Wallabies at the moment, a performance against a Blues at Eden Park carries a lot of weight. Uh, more weight than any other match is right now because this is the closest to what you'll see against coming up in All Blacks at Eden Park. You win here and it gives a lot of confidence for these players that will return. And you think about guys like even Tom Banks, he's likely to wear the 15 jersey for the Wallabies. He's got to own the, the, the big matches. You think about Tom Wright, who's been in, inconsistent like Felipe Danguno at times. You think about a, a Lan Ikatao who's facing more pressure than he has for a little while. Um, you think about a Tom Hooper. Can he put his name up? And he, of course, you think about a, a Scott Seo or a Lockie Lonigan or a Darcy Swain, or a Caden, Caden Neville. Like Neville's got a big opportunity to show what he's worth. You know, re signed Rugby Australia contract. Uh, does he get into the, the Wallabies frame? I, I think he's a, a good player. Um, you imagine he's going to be there, thereabouts, but this is your time to step up and take the take the match. Yeah, can't wait. So that'll be Saturday night, uh, the Brumbies and Blues, uh, 5 p.m. here in Australia and, uh, of course, 7 p.m. over the ditch uh, with the Crusaders and Chiefs, uh, 5 o'clock here in Australia on, on Friday night. So, um, yeah, two big games to look uh, at over the long weekend coming up. Um, all right, mate, we've been talking about it for a while now. It's uh, Sunday is the big day, a 36-man Wallaby squad. But we're going to go a bit further today uh, and go with our, our 23 for the first test against England in Perth, which is now under 30 days away. I can't wait to get over the West myself uh, to take in that one, um, mate. Uh, to you first. Uh, run us through the uh, the Doran starting fifteen plus eight subs that uh, will be taking the field uh, in uh, in Perth on July two. Well, we're not too dissimilar in what we've chosen, are we? Like there, there's only minor changes. You know, yeah, I, I think the most difficult positions to pick from at the moment are almost the outside backs. Um, I think we we kind of know 
who's going to be in that back row, potentially the locks. Um, and, of course, the, the hookers is going to be fascinating too. Look, I've gone Angus Bell to start with in front of James Slipper. And the reason why I've done that is because Taniela hasn't played a match in a long time. And do you want Taniela's first minute of, of on-field action to be the first minute of test? Um do you allow him to come in or do you want to see the maybe him just when the game gets slightly looser in the second half to come on? And, and I think you need one of those two starting because the ball running capability that they have are so much more superior than a, a slipper and an Alatoa. So I've gone Bell at one, Dave Parecki at two. And the reason also um, uh, I'm doing that because I've got a – actually, in fact, I'm, I'm going Falafi-Anger to start with there. I've got Parecki. Um, you've gone with Dave Parecki. Yeah, I'm looking at your your team now, and the reason why I'm doing that is because Darcy Swain for me would be starting in the in the second row, and if you've got a Jed Holloway coming off a bench, I think the combination with the Dave Parecki would be better. So, I've gone Bell, Fyanger, Alatoa, Swain, Rodder, Leota, Hooper, and Balotini. I think that back row looks so good, so powerful, yep. so dominant. Um, Nick White, Quade Cooper at, at nine and ten. I, you know, Nick, this is going to be won a lot of the game time in the air. The kicking contest, we, we know that Freddie Stewart at fullback is going to be huge for England. How they match up is going to be fascinating. But Nick White, his box kicking is, is so superior to the rest. Um, whether or not Quade is, is ready to go right from the outset is an interesting one too because we can't forget that he's been playing second division Japanese rugby now. Even though he's won that competition, Robbie Dean's talked him up the other uh, other week in a, a Zoom presser. Big, big, uh, you know, to, to come into a test match without playing any real top flight rugby for a while is, will be fascinating. Um, the centres, Karevi and Ikatao. The back three of Korobetti, Kellaway and Banks. Um, on the bench, I'd have uh, Dave Parecki, Slipper, Taniela, Tupo. Jed Holloway, Pete Samu, Tate McDermott, James O'Connor and, and Jordan Pattaya. I think Pattaya will be interesting. He, he's shown he's some real glimpses. We've spent a bit of time at fullback. I don't think you can quite reward Reese Hodge um, off the back of his year, even though he got better, I think. And, and he will, I think, get in this squad just based on his versatility as well as his experience, um, I think. But Noel CEO runs James O'Connor pretty close. I, I just wonder whether or not in, in a big match, in a big series, having you know worn the 10 jersey a few times last year, um, O'Connor on the Northern Hemisphere spring tour, that kind of those experiences will be invaluable. And, and you imagine in a faster track in, in Perth, it's going to be about tempo controlling the big moments and i think o'connor's got that in spades still very nice mate all right uh my turn uh starting through from one to 15 as you've gone uh bell for exactly the same reason as um as you said re tong and thor re taniola tupu i don't think you can pick him after such a long while out to start uh hence alatoa gets the the spot at tight head so you need bell's ball carrying um and he has been fantastic in that regard, all season for the Waratahs. So uh, that is my choice there. Parecki, I just, I'm a little bit more comfortable with the accuracy of his line out throwing. I think Falau, uh, as good as he can be around the paddock and at the back of that Brumbies Mall, that his, his line out throwing under pressure, um, particularly early on in test matches, 
hasn't always been flash. Um, so I've been really impressed with Parecki's accuracy all year. So he gets the nod for me. Uh, Swain and Philip um, in the second row at lock. I love Darcy Swain, what he does uh, defensively around the mall. I think his ball carrying is getting better. I think it could be better still, but him, he, his defensive line out and, and more work, as I mentioned there, is, is huge. I reckon about the best in the country. Uh, Matt yeah. Phillip finished the the season really strongly and, and he gets the nod for me ahead of Isaac Rodder. I, I felt like earlier in the year we might have seen the last of him, but perhaps a, a victim of um, that slow start to the Rebels season. Um, starting to work a little bit more footwork at the line into his game. Um, yeah, that he, that he is. And he needed to do that, but he is, yeah. Um, so that the, from a ball-carrying perspective, I like that. Same back row as you had. And as you say, uh, we only got a, a couple of glimpses of it last year, uh, Leota, Hooper and, and Valentini. And we know about Leota also. We missed the first half of the season, just about came back and really started to look good towards the end. Michael Hooper's Michael Hooper. And, uh, and Bobby Valentini, who, as we hope, will get back this weekend for an invaluable run. Um, I don't know whether, you know, he could have fallen into the same situation there. Um, just on number eight, it's interesting, isn't it, that both of us, we and I'm going to come to it shortly, we don't have a space for, for Harry Wilson uh, in, in the 23, um, as good as he has been all year for the Reds. And, and he's going to be, you know, a Wallabies player for, for many, many years to come. But um, at the moment, with the balance and, and the feel of that Wallabies back row, I, I just don't think you can have both uh, both Harry and, and Rob starting uh, in the same trio. And you obviously see it the same way. Yeah, I think it's hitting rucks is something that's so important. Harry Wilson is one of the best ball runners in the country. His line running is superb. Maybe Australian rugby needs to develop a, a game plan to do that. I just feel that with Dave Rennie, he wants a six um, or at least wants a six or an eight. But but with Rob Valentini at eight, he wants a six who can absolutely hit hard, who can be really good in the line out, hit some rucks, really scare some people in defence. I think Rob Leota can do that. I don't think that those things are necessarily Harry Wilson's strengths, but you know, we both haven't been able to find a position for Fraser McRide either. And I think that those two work in tandem so well together, knowing each other back to front, um, as do they with, with a Tate McDermott. And the more that Tate McDermott plays and bring, I think you'll see the more Fraser McRide and Harry Wilson in that team as well. You know, I can see McRide potentially coming into a squad if you've got a... Um, a Jed Holloway in that squad, in that 23, because Holloway can cover both six as well as in the second row, which means that you might be able to squeeze a Frazier in there. And if you want him to quicken up the tempo, um, might be a good option to be able to bring Fraser on. But I can see that happening more potentially in the long term. If it wasn't the first test being at Perth, I could see Fraser playing more. But because it's the first test, I think that it's going to be, it won't be a, necessarily as pretty as it might become the the second test or the you know which which would be um, obviously in brisbane on this occasion so yeah i wouldn't be putting your line through him at all you desperately want to see fraser mcgride at some point in time but just in the balance at the moment i'm not sure if i would play him in the first test my back line exactly the same as yours white cooper corabetti karevi ikatao Kellaway, and banks um uh, you know, I think we've, as we've said, we've discussed Tom Banks over and over and over, but fair play to him, his form over the last few weeks and particularly on Saturday night was 
was really good. And with Kirtley uh, not barely having played a game since February, I'm not sure if he has made his return or not. At last check, about a fortnight ago. He's doing holidays at the moment. Um, well, there you go. So there's there's no way you could pick him on no footy after after six months. And as improving and as impressive as Josh Jock Campbell has been in, in recent times, he's still is a ways off and is probably going to miss this squad, but you would imagine start at fullback in, in an A squad. Uh, my bench then um, is, uh, of course, Fainga, Slipper, Thor, Holloway, Samu, Tate, JOC and Ryder. I love Pete Samu as a bench player. I thought his energy, particularly uh, in the Brisbane win over the Springboks last year, was fantastic. And he, he gives you that ability. You talk about Fraser and McWright bringing energy and, and really, you know, adding a bit of speed. Well, that's what Pete Samu does, but he just offers a little bit more physicality to around the paddock. And um, I like him ranging wide in those those later periods of matches. Um, he's just a little bit loose to, to start for me, but um, and clearly there's, there's great depth there, but I, I reckon he's the perfect back row bench option there. Um, and among the backs, yeah, obviously JOC is the one, as you mentioned, Um Injury-wise, uh, was it was closing in. I think he might have been able to return this week had the Reds had won. But yeah, certainly it's a bit of a, bit of a concern him playing just that one match in about the last six or seven weeks. Uh, and Tom Wright, I, I think you know what he can bring uh, from a, from a speed and finishing perspective inside those those final twenty minutes. Got great footwork and and probably at the moment is really in a. I mean, you could pick either he. Sully or, or Kellaway, couldn't you, in that right wing, and you'd be pretty comfortable that they would they would go and do a job. So, you know, a, a well, luxurious position for, for Dave to be in. Why did you pick um why did you pick Tom Wright over over Jordan Bataille? Jordy's yeah, just still worries me a little bit. I'm not sure we've absolutely nailed where best we can use him. I know he's got obviously the ability to to cover those positions. Um as a uh, as a bench player, being able to play 13, 14, and, and 15, clearly, um, and on the other wing as well. But um, I don't know. I, I just I, I like Tom Wright. Um, I feel like he's, he's had a very strong season. Uh, interestingly, probably both he and Geordie are let down on occasion by their hands, really, aren't they? They, you know, they, they do some some brilliant things with ball in hand, but then quite often spill the, the simplest of passes. But I think Wright, what he's done in a performing Brumbies team, probably is just ahead at this point for me. Yeah, and you can't argue with it. And I think one of the reasons why you'll see a Sully Bunavalu in a squad and not necessarily start is that they want to firstly bring you up to speed. You missed a lot of yeah. stuff that the rest of the players in the national team would have been involved with on a spring tour, for instance. But I think they really want to manage um, his hamstrings and his body and having the best strength and conditioning coaches. They will be with the Wallabies. And unfortunately, they're not going to be with the Australian A side. Um, that's one of the reasons why I think Funabalo, even it, it, I think he could use some extra minutes. I think he could use being in the Australian A environment to play more, but I just think that they will be so, so cautious around how they bring him back and then when they unleash him because we've seen glimpses and, and uh, you know, he could be anything out there on the right wing. It will change. The other reason why I think Jordan Bataille would have him in the in the back um on the squad is is match day squad is because he's so good in the air. Um, it allows you to have a, a real kicking threat option as well. Um, he's so good in the air, as is Punavalu, but Pattaya is so good in the air, particularly out wide, can score tries. We've seen that um, 
I don't think Tom Wright's quite as good in the air as, as, a, as a Pattaya. So I think that'll be important for this series over the coming weeks. What about an Australia A squad, mate? Have you uh, have you got one through that you can uh, you can run us out to run run out to us? Well, we should probably. I think I imagine this Australian A side will, will be named maybe after the the Wallabies team. Um, so potentially we can run through a, a Wallabies one next next pod, and and we'll know a little bit more around the Australian A. But I think you can imagine guys like Dylan Peach and Mark Noong and Edawasi. It'll be interesting to see what happens at 10. If Ryan Lonigan's not included, I imagine he plays at nine. And I think he actually almost could potentially captain that side. Yep. Um, but for people like Felidi Kaitutu haven't made it, you know, opportunities for him to get back into um, the picture as well as an Alex Murphy, who we know that he's the sort of player that Dave Rennie loves. Um, you know, the Ryan Smiths of the world. Uh, potentially even Harry Wilson, you know, if he's not a guy that's um, going to likely to play, I wonder whether or not he starts at eight. For- well, there, there's a question, mate. Is it better for someone like Harry to, well, you're saying that they can't be named, they're going to be kept so- separate, these two squads. So is it better not to include him in this Wallaby squad and get him valuable match time against what are going to be three very strong Pacific Island teams, as we've seen, and just earlier today, Fiji naming their team with, I think, about 15 drill players and also former Crusaders. And, and I think he played about three tests for the All Blacks setter, Tamani Valu in, included as well. So, um, mate, is it better for Harry to get that game time rather than stay with the Wallabies and potentially not see any time at all, barring, you know, the other thing is that one of these back rows could go down, Leota or, or Robin in the first test with injury? Um, how, do you play, how do you play that yeah. one? Well, I see a Pete Samu starting in front of him if push comes to shove at just at the moment. And um, if that's the case, then Harry Wilson, Jason Gilmore is going to be the coach. And we know that the relationship they coach, yeah. have, junior Wallabies um, uh, in, in 2019. So I can see, yeah, someone like him, um, they shouldn't see this as a slap in the face. They should see this as we're getting an opportunity to play against international sides who away in Fiji, like what an opportunity that is, I think. So, yeah, good luck to them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating period coming up. Uh, really can't wait. Um, of course, two weeks of, of Super Rugby to get through. It feels like it's uh, it's really flown by, but um, I think uh, we've got the four best teams in the competition through to the semifinals. So uh, really looking forward to to this weekend. Christy, we, we better have some tips Um I think it's it's still going to be Crusaders Blues. Unfortunately, I think the Brums are going to give it a really good shake, but um, I think the Blues will just be too tough at home. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, and you're, you're betting with your head if you are going the Brumbies. But the one thing that gives you a little bit of confidence that they could do it is the fact that they are uh, there's test players right across there. There's test players in the halves. There's a test player at fullback. There's a test front row there. They will keep it much tighter than any other Australian team, and I can only think that's a, a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, thanks very much, mate, for your time again today. Uh, great to be on chatting as always, and, uh, yeah, we look forward to doing it all again in uh, seven days' time. <laughs>